Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Adoption Unfiltered. I'm adoptee Sarah Easterly, and I'm joined here by my usual co-host, uh, birth parent Kelsey Vanderbilt Ranyard, and adoptive parent Lori Holden. And we are so excited today to welcome to our show Haley Radke from the Adoptees On podcast. Uh, I feel like you probably don't need much of an introduction, Haley, but um, I want to give you one anyway for um, just to honor you. Um, Haley is the host and creator of Adoptees On, a podcast that um, has been created for adoptee, adopted people willing to share their intimately personal stories about the impact that adoption has had on their lives. Uh, there have been almost 300 episodes um, produced to date, just remarkable, Haley, um, and just uh, just a phenomenal resource. I can't recommend adoptees on enough. Um, to I, I I I list I recommend it. I listen to it all the time um, for so much good adoptee centered information and um, conversation. Uh, so we're just really excited, Haley, to have you here on this side. So we get to ask you the questions. You're such a good interviewer. And so I hope we can live up to your standards and, and ask good conversation questions and lead to good conversation. And um, we're just happy to have you here. So thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored. That was quite the intro. I can't believe it's almost 300 episodes. That's a lot. That's a lot of talking. Yeah, it is. It is. So um, I want to hear about your story. You always start with that, but I also want to hear as part of that, like what, what, you know, some background of what led you to starting Adoptees On. Well, I have ha experienced two reunions as an adopted person. So one in my very early 20s with my um, mother who cut off contact after just a few months of reunion. And then not quite 10 years later, I found my father and we've been in reunion almost 13 years now. And at the very beginning of the reunion, we had the everything's great, very exciting honeymoon phase, as they call it. And then things started to get rocky. And I was like, oh, my God, what is wrong with me that I cannot maintain a relationship with a biologically related person to me? And during that time, I was connected for the very first time with adoptees on Twitter and we were having these conversations and just talking about what it's like to be adopted. In the meantime, I'm a podcast aficionado. I love podcasts. I've been listening since Apple put them in iTunes back in 2005. And I heard a couple of independent podcasters share how they podcasted. And I was like, I could totally do that. And so self-taught I started by asking some of my Twitter adoptee friends on and initially it really was to have besides just a text conversation on Twitter about adoption like I could hear their voice and really ask them whatever it's like a carte blanche to kind of dig in and it's been a really shock a big shock to me how it's grown and how people have connected with it so much. I never I never anticipated getting to 300 episodes and podcasting for, I mean, it's been over seven years now. So that was unintentional. Um, but it was for a benefit for me to make it more deeper in adoptee friendships. And it's 
done that, but it's also done that for fellow adoptees who are listeners. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think um, it's done that. And yeah, like you say, I mean, it's, you've, it's created community. Um, And I think that you've done such a fantastic job of bringing on guests who, who really share a wide range of experiences and then seeing the commonalities. I think that there's just so much normalization that happens through the listening of your show um, and helping adoptees understand themselves, which is really significant. So yeah, thank you so much for all of your work. Thank, <laughs> thank you. you. The, one of the most surprising things to me is the feedback I've gotten from folks who find the show and then they're, they're just like, oh my gosh, like I literally thought I was the only one who ever had these internal tumultuous feelings. And most of us are having those feelings, but they're unspoken. So it's so powerful to say them out loud. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I have a question for you, um, just about having listened to episodes throughout from the beginning, you know, I've I didn't find you at the beginning, but I went back and started at the beginning. Um, and I remember, um, gosh, there was a time when I would, I was just pouring through episodes, drinking from a fire hose, getting through to try to catch up. Um, there has been, I feel like you've had an evolution yourself that we hear um, in terms of just how you process adoption. Um, and even just how you hold boundaries and, um, and those sorts of things. I was wondering if you'd be willing to share some of that with us. I definitely have, uh, I'll call it, have become radicalized over the years. <laughs> and I thought I had processed a lot of adoption things when I started, but as I mentioned, I was having trouble in reunion with my dad and I started going to more intensive therapy and started really working on those things in myself. And so through the years, I've had this personal growth from doing that work privately with my psychologist, but then also learning from all my guests. And there's always something I'm like, oh, great. I guess I should talk to my therapist about that too. Thanks. Um, so there's that for sure. Hopefully people can see that I've, I think I've grown in that um, personally. And then when it comes to advocacy for adopted people, I used to have a much different view of adoption that I do now. And the more adoptees I talk to, I just really understand more and more the deep trauma that we've experienced from being separated from our origins and then subsequently adopted into a family where we now need to fit in. And so... Not everyone will say it that way, uh, but I believe every single adoptee and adoption are traumatic events that need to be worked on and healed from. And I, I say healed from, but I think that's just an ongoing process. There's not like an end point. It's like, because we're human and we're always going to have stuff to be unpacking. So I came 
to it. I've only said this a few times, but in my early 20s, I mean, I was going to adopt. I had to pay back what was given to me. And ultimately, my husband and I went through classes on how to adopt and the whole process and all of those things. And as I was sitting in in these classes with this adoption agency that still operates locally here, I was like, why are you pushing towards infant adoption? It was really eye-opening to me. And now I can look back and just be like, whoa, that was really messy and problematic. And I can't believe I was going to participate in that. And through my years and years of conversations and going to adoption conferences and learning and all of those things, now I see, like, I really see the trouble in the industry. And I see the white supremacist of it all and the classist and the colonial, like, I see all of those problems. Um it's tough. It's tough. And so that's why I'm calling myself a radicalized adoptee um, because I am 100% for family preservation now. It's hard to, it's hard to unsee once you see, I, and, and nor do you really want to, um, it's not the goal. Um, but I, I hear you and feel you 100%. So, um, speaking of, I, and I don't think that's that radicalized. I mean, I don't know, maybe where are we in a bubble? Like, you know, um, you know, I think to, we are in a bubble. We're in a bubble. Yeah. We are. We well, are. and this is, might be a good opportunity. Let's pull Kelsey and Lori in now, because I think, you know, we just, before we started recording, we were talking about Haley, you said that you aren't in that many spaces with, um, adoptive parents and birth parents, um, in interview spaces anyway. And so, that feels like, is this an evolution? Is this more of an evolution? And let's have, let's, let's have this conversation. Um, I don't think we're all that far apart. So that's why I feel <laughs> perfectly at ease here, but, um, but I don't know, is there anything that, that you want to ask, um, Kelsey or Lori? Haley, I think our, um, our journeys through the consciousness of adoption were, similar because I came into it as an adoptive parent and I had the simplistic view that maybe you did as well because of what I had heard just in by osmosis what I've absorbed from um from society about adoption being a win-win it's a generous thing I would be doing to help out another mom and another and a baby and it was a good thing and i think for me my evolution has been finding all the nuances in that and that it's um it's not it's it is undergirded by a tremendous loss um and one of my podcast my own podcast guests said um you know we all come to adoption on our knees and i can see that now being in it for um 20 some years so so i think you know from simplicity to complexity is is also part of what happened to me as an adoptive parent entering into the adoption space thinking it was win-win and then finding out oh anything that comes from loss cannot be win-win and so what are, what are we going to do with that um but i'm trying to think of so many different things and haley am i you're in canada is that correct so I, yeah, 
how I don't really I'm not super familiar with like the Canadian system so do you mind just elaborating on that a little bit and and telling everybody what um, if you know what the differences are between the U.S. system and the Canadian system I think we're fairly similar I don't think there's a great deal of difference um Luckily, Canada has maternity leave, and so we have we have a few more social uh, programs in effect. I think that hopefully would prevent unnecessary adoption. Mm-hmm. But besides that, we still have a lot of predatory practices happening here. And I don't know if you know, but you know, Canada internationally adopts many many um, babies from the United States. Yeah, I did know that. Um, I There's like a book or something on that. I haven't read it, but I was reading about it. And so I found that super interesting. I don't think people, many people think of, which is one of the, the, the classes, white supremacist, colonialism, you know, roots, but people don't really realize they don't see the United States as a, as an output country. They see it as an input country. And so um, it's really interesting when you start looking at um, and finding that, tracing the, those lines um, and seeing where they lead. So yeah, interesting. So um, there's so many things I just wanna ask, but I, yeah. Do you see uh, family preservation, I guess? How do you see that on a, cause right now where I see it is, it's happening more on a micro level and I guess, where do you see it going in the immediate future on a macro level? That's a pretty big question, <laughs> but I mean, I don't know if you. Well, I think that's what we'd mean by upstream versus downstream practices, right? So, um, you know, the story of like pulling the drowning people out of the bottom of the river and these people just keep coming <laughs> and it's like, where are they falling in? And so, of course, you know, all of these things are upstream practices like living wage, um, fair housing access, um, all the supports that folks need in place. So if there's an unexpected pregnancy, they feel supported enough to parent. And if that's their their choice to parent. Um, And I mean... I don't understand why there's not more focus on that and more focus on keeping the family unit intact and how do we reach um, mothers in crisis before they pick up the phone and call an adoption agency? Why are adoption agencies advertising on Google saying, we'll give you, we'll give you housing and pay for your medical costs. And, you know, like, but all you have to do, no obligation, um, but all you have to do is give us your baby at the end and you don't get any of the money we get paid. You know, like, I mean, is that I too much to do? I 100% agree. <laughs> I mean, I 100% agree. Um, the ads, I do advertising studies for my job, for my work, and that's one of the main things I see. I screenshot them every single day. <laughs> Um, I, we study the, um, 
the key phrases, the words, uh, the most popular phrases that people are searching on Google and retrace them in different locations around the United States. And um, as you may know, United States adoption is governed, private adoption, domestic private adoption is governed solely by state law. And so it differs from state to state. Mm -hmm. And so well, that's what I do is I study those, those trends and in advertising and compare it with their state law and, and that framework. And it's, it's atrocious. It's vile. Um, it's get paid for an adoption. That's the, that's the language. Um, you know, I saw one yesterday that said mothers helping mothers. Um, many times that these ads are 90% of these ads are coming from unlicensed, um, like brokers as well. And so uh, it's really hard for moms to even understand that these are places that you will never, um, they, they half the time are not operating within that loose state law framework to begin with. And so um, it's, it's really hard to, to tackle all of that. And there's no federal basis um, for private adoption law in the United States. And so that's a precedent that has to be, um, that has to be set. Otherwise you're working within 50 different sets of state laws to try to bring some of this down. So there's so many problems, <laughs> like I could be here all day. Um, but yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like there's the, the practices are so far removed from even the ideal of what adoption should be in people's minds. I think people, people generally believe like um, society generally believes like this is finding a, a family for this child. And, and Joyce Pavo, Dr. Joyce Pavo says that all the time that, you know, this should be about finding a, a family for a child, not finding a child for a family. And so I think, um, but the, but the realities even it, as faulty as any of anything, um, any notion of what society thinks adoption is, as faulty as that may be, the realities are even so far removed from that, um, that it's, it's hard to alter the, the hearts and minds and the culture and the understanding around adoption and what it is in reality, as well as to try to convince lawmakers. I mean, adoption is a winning issue. Um, for policymakers, state and federal level alike, adoption is an issue that makes them look good. And so to try to tear down those ideals is really hard. Um, but yeah, and and that's just the adoption side. And I think the family preservation side that, that does get into a lot of adjacent policy areas like housing, um, like, you know, childcare and stuff like that is, so, <laughs> is a whole other um, area too, whereas you're also dealing with a lot of state law and um, you know, people very much, they live in a blue state or a red state most of the time. And so those um, opportunities for those social safety nets can be very different from state to state as well. Um, it's, a really, it's a really scary thing to think about um, getting pregnant in a, in a situation, in a circumstance that you can't find support either way. 
um, no matter what you choose, whether you choose abortion or adoption or parenting. Um, it's a really scary, I, I wish people, more people would come to terms with like a society on a society level, not like you or us, um, how scary it is uh, of an arena to enter the moment you find out you're pregnant. That's my soapbox. <laughs> Haley, that's such a good question that you're asking about the downstream and upstream. And I'm gonna quibble with just one word in the way that you phrased it. And that's the word versus in between them, because I would, I, I would submit that both are important and um, we, need, we need to be doing both. Um, and I think in our configuration, um, I've learned so much from Sarah and Kelsey about how to get up farther upstream um, and the importance of getting farther upstream. Um, and maybe Sarah and Kelsey are both talking about informed consent, and I'll speak to that for, um, for adoptive parents and all of my work uh, from my podcast to my writing um, and my, my coaching and my speaking is all about trying to get adoptive parents so much earlier in their journey, even before they're adopting, to better understand what they're consenting to and what adoption is and the effects that adoption have on others. Um, so much so that there, we have a chapter in our book um, devoted to pronatalism, um, adopting a metaculture of pronatalism to try to help um, people not adopt. Like, what would that look like to not adopt? And how can we make that a viable option as well. And I think we should be talking about that even more because if adoptive parents, prospective adoptive parents hear what you're saying and understand that adoption is inherently traumatic, and then they still decide to proceed with going the infant adoption route, <laughs> they're opting into the seat of the oppressor. And that is, yikes, for me. I have an article that I'm trying to get placed that's all about this. So hopefully by the time this airs, it will have a place because that's exactly it. I mean, we're given informed consent in medical spaces and some people proceed anyway, but they do so at a great peril. And they, you know, and the doctors will tell them that and they make them sign on the dotted line right then and there, right? Like <laughs> you are declining um, the service or the treatment we recommend because of, of this. So I think um, anyway, that's, that's a, a topic. I'm glad we're getting into informed consent and talking about that in this space more and more. Um, you mentioned a word that stuck, stood out for me, Haley, and that is choice. Um, if a, if a birth parent chooses and, and I do think, um, this is not my idea. I've heard it said elsewhere, but just, um, some people, some birth parents, and again, this is where that informed consent applies to birth parents and they don't get the informed consent, um, because, are they really told that your child, you know, they're told your child's going to have a better life. They're told, you know, they're told these, we know what they're told, you know, they're told um, you're doing the right thing. You're doing the selfless thing. This is an act of love. Um, they're not given that informed consent that, okay, when, you know, you know, 40 years, 50 years later, your child is going to be an adult still hurting and still, re still reeling from the effects of adoption in all new ways. And it's going to be a significant trauma. Would that make them, 
would that make them make a different decision? Because some people, it is a choice. And I think for me, I have noticed sometimes when I get on my too far, um, you know, I, I, I totally agree with you on family preservation. And sometimes I, I do it, I can get blinded by it thinking that's what everybody wants. And I think that's my own way to kind of bypass the grief and pain of it's not, it was a choice that someone made, <laughs> um, like it or not. Um, and so anyway, I just think the informed consent applies to both adoptive parents and birth parents that they need to know what we go through <laughs> as adoptees and have a sense of that. And, and then please don't sign, you know, please, are you going to sign on the dotted line still, you know, hopefully we're convincing a lot of people not to through that, through that work. And I think that's what, you know, listening to your show, Haley offers, you know, to any non-adopted listeners, we talked about how normalizing it is for adoptees, but anyone who's not an adoptee listening, I hope that they are walking away with some, a window in of, wow, this is not what I pictured. I don't know. Do you get that kind of feedback? Do you hear, do you hear from non-adoptee listeners with that kind of feedback ever? Does it, <laughs> do you get that? I have. And I've heard from people in my personal life who've messaged me and said, oh my goodness, I was going to adopt and we're choosing not to now because of what we heard. Um, but I want to kind of circle back and I want to ask Kelsey about this because um, I, I've, I read your book, um, and I want to hear more about if, if you can give some thoughts on this, like the, the temporary crisis nature of it, you know, like two years from now, your life is, could look so very different. And what is it like? share or not, I don't know, it's too personal. Um, but I am curious about that. You know, are you, you're seven years post-placement, is that right? And you have another yeah. child if, if yeah. I'm okay. So I don't, I, I guess I don't always agree that it's a temporary crisis. Um, in a lot of the cases that I've seen, especially recently, um, just, and I don't do direct services on I don't do cases. I haven't, I haven't worked in that direct service area of adoption in, in three years, I believe. Um, but I, we do often hear um, people call our office quite a bit and ask about certain things and uh, pertaining to their cases. And so um, we're seeing a lot of pretty severe substance use disorder um, and, and also pretty debilitating mental illness and, um, Yes, some things that that don't that would would make someone not qualified, not a candidate for parenting um, anywhere in the near future, and um, and I don't believe that that that's always a disqualifier. I think everything is very case by case, um, and it's such a sensitive topic, um, and I want to be aware of that as well. But we also see so many of these just really fragile, um, you know, people in, in, in these cases and that aren't going to be eligible to parent. Um, and then when kinship is explored, and it, and it often is, um, I think it's explored a little bit more than people realize. Not in every, not every professional does that. So um, that's not a blanket statement by any means. But 
when sometimes kinship is explored, um, we a lot of times hear from family members, like, I can't take any more of their children. I already am raising two. I already am raising three or four. And so um, at that point too, it's like, you're, you're on a limited amount of time where, you know, this baby a lot, many times too has also already been born. And so um, to avoid the foster system, which we know can be such a dangerous place for kids, um, especially when reunification is unlikely to happen. Um, you know, it's, it's not a temporary crisis and also can be compounded um, by the passage of time and no action. So uh, for me, I, I think it was a temporary crisis, but I also, I guess I also struggle without the family support because I didn't have that um, to parent. There was no nobody um, in my family, in my corner to be like, yeah, we're going to help you do this. That was non-existent. And so I didn't even know where I was going to live. Um, and I guess it's hard to realize, it's hard to understand when you don't have the support of like a birth father and you don't have the family support. And then now your housing is in question. I was looking at even less stability than what I currently had if I were to choose to parent. And so for me, I think um, there's a lot of unknowns there. And I can see uh, the biggest thing for me too is childcare. I think I didn't realize even then, seven, eight years ago, that how big of a deal childcare was going to be. But I literally couldn't work if I couldn't have someone to watch my child. And there were in my hometown, I couldn't find a job that would pay me enough money to also be able to afford childcare and then housing on top of it. So there's, I mean, a lot of that upstream stuff that was non-existent. I lived in a red state. I lived in Indiana, who's notorious for not having any social safety net for people. Um, these are all huge problems that contributed to my temporary crisis um, and compounded that. And so I think that there are a lot of unnecessary adoptions going on. And I also, you know, I think it's a very personal um, journey and opinion uh, that I hold, you know, close on, on how I feel about my own, um, my own relinquishment. But I, I do think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of, there's a huge margin for improvement um, on the upstream and the downstream. But, but yeah, I, I'm just not sure that it's always every single time a, a, a permanent solution to a temporary crisis. I do think it's a permanent solution. It's definitely permanent, especially when we have that, um, that TPR, the t termination of parental rights. And we have, you know, that we're amending, we're, we're, we're not even amending, we're creating new birth certificates for adoptees. I think that there's definitely practices in there that should definitely not occur. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I definitely, it's something I like go back and forth on and I reflect on a lot. And I also um, look at the things like the, the turnaway study um, out of UCSF, um, uh, the researchers, I'm trying to remember her name, Diane Foster Green, I, I think that's her name. And then she works with Gretchen Sisson who wrote Relinquishment, which is out 
and they both have worked really hard to to show about that. There's like that four-year window or something um, that it's mentioned in Turnaway study where four or five-year window after um, after like a termination of a pregnancy and after relinquishment of a child and after parenting, um, they they surveyed women over that that window of time to see what what changed for them in that time, and the the results you know really varied, um, and but a, it took women that um, parented like that five year chunk of time to to kind of get back on their feet. Um, five years is a long time, and I'm not saying that that it doesn't matter or that those you know women shouldn't have uh, parented or anything like that, but um, it's it's hard to see five years ahead. It's really hard, and especially when you you don't have it together and you you don't you're you're trying to put um, you're trying to to put the pieces together in such a vulnerable time, and they're just not. It's nothing's clicking for you. You're like I don't I don't have enough faith in in myself and in this in my support system to see five years down the road to see that to to know that I'm going to be okay. Um, there's a lot of alarm there. So I, I definitely agree with you. Like those support systems have to be present. Um, a lot of times it's our own families that aren't going to offer that help. And that's, that's really hard, especially if you've depended on your family for a lot. Um, I know I'm kind of going off. My well, thank but, you yeah. for sharing that. Yeah. And, um, there's an organization that I, I don't align with all of their, um, views, but they train families to come alongside, um, women in crisis, right? Like that's the perfect example of that five years where you need to borrow someone else's support system in order to parent so that you have folks to do childcare and get you, um, housing. And, and so you can continue on in your studies or, um, find, better paying employment, all of those things. And I like, where are the uh, 2 million waiting and hopeful parents in that filling that gap? <laughs> like, why does it take um, ownership over a child under your own roof? Um, so you can be the parent? Why does it take that to get you in there? Like, be in the in with the the people that are needing you right now so you can all enjoy a family unit whatever that looks like um oh that's so sad it makes me so mad like it just makes me so mad oh. yeah I think I think that there's I mean there's a lot of women like me and there's a lot of women that had even less than me and so um and I think my work just going back to the upstream downstream my work um, I do see as both kind of, it can, it can be classed as both. Well, although, you know, I'm not working directly in housing. I'm not right. You know, but I, I'm trying to, you know, regulate and restrict some of these practices. That I've just been allowed to like, just go crazy, um, unregulated and, um, nobody's watching these things happen. I think our work was born out of we get these calls. People call us. I don't, I mean, we never said call us if you have a problem, but they just did. And so now they do that. And so you see these cases happening right now 
we have a case going on this week out of Utah. It's not even our case. It's cases we get called in to provide support to and um, trying to get these women out of a situation, be able to parent. Um, these things happen all the time. These are those micro cases, you know? Um, so we definitely, I've helped women get their babies back. I've helped after relinquishment and I, I just, I don't see family preservation as, as a counter um, view to our own. Uh, we just, I think when you're in the trenches of it, um, you're like, I don't know if I'm upstream or downstream, but I'm knee deep in shit. <laughs> and so you're like, just trying to do what you can with what you have. And I wish there were so many more people in in these trenches with us. Um, and I also wish that family preservation, um, you know, activists and advocates could also, we could find a way to all work together because I, I feel like our goals are not that, um, they're not counter to each other by any means. I was just thinking, um, you know, we are all about listening and deeply listening and anybody who's deeply listening to adoptees on, um, deeply listening to Lori, your podcast, deeply listening when they read our book, like, and your work, like the deeply listening should be what's that should, if, if you're a prospective adoptive parent and you're hearing this, like if you're deeply listening to this episode, like there's a call to action right there. Like, I mean, like that is the upstream and we hope you're listening and, and taking this to heart because there is so much pain involved and, and there are other ways to go about that kind of, you know, it, it may not have to be an exact parenting role. Like you say, Haley, um, you know, there's a lot of fulfillment. I have a lot of friends and, and Lori, you wrote about them in our book, parenting by, you know, not parenting by choice, child-free, not by choice. Um, or by choice, um, who get a lot of fulfillment from those anti-roles or from those mentoring roles um, and being, you know, pillars of, um, you know, wisdom and, and maturity in their communities. So there's a lot, a lot of fulfillment that can come from that. And again, that's, um, that's just so important. I also was just reflecting and Haley, I want to ask you about this, if you don't mind, if it's not getting too personal for you, but I think a lot of these, um, situations where families families are laying on pressure when we have an unwanted pregnancy um, and let's say a partner who's not supportive as well um, so that a woman's just feeling completely alone but I think a lot of the um, kind of the, looking at that upstream is religious communities and I think we've got to get out of this like either or adoption or abortion and one's holy one's evil like you know because and one um you know there's just kind of an uh, a soul lens on the suffering of the fetus and no interest in knowing about the suffering that adoptees deal with so i don't know Haley, i'd love to hear your thoughts if you would be willing to go there i know we're, we're not supposed to talk religion and politics but while we're doing it yeah well you already know and kelsey's uh reference uh gretchen sisson's work right that adoption and abortion that's not the dichotomy it's it's are you going to have your pregnancy or not like that's your first um decision so uh, yeah that's whew. i mean when i reference that organization that i didn't 
really align with other beliefs. It is a religious organization. And um, it came to my city. I was so excited to participate in it because um, in addition to family preservation at the like baby pregnancy level, it's also hopes to reduce the amount of um, kids going into foster care for temporary situations. And unfortunately, like I could not sign on to their statement of beliefs, which is like, great. Like, why are we still excluding people who could be serving these families? And it also impacts um, the decision of the parent in crisis, whether or not they're going to reach out to this organization if they're not um, religiously affiliated or aligned with them. So yeah, that's, it's tough. I don't, I don't know. Um, I have struggled with my faith over these years and it's because of expressing countercultural beliefs about adoption in the church that was unwelcome. And so I mean, what can I say about that? Like, it's painful. Spiritual trauma is painful. And I really feel deeply for um, mothers who've been impacted in um, having a crisis pregnancy that is shamed and called sinful by the church and forced to um, lose the opportunity to parent um, in the name of religion. It's just abhorrent yes it is it is and um and a lot of a lot of hurt in the in the church for us as adoptees as the result of that as well so um that I know you know Haley but just the we get that shame trickle down onto us and and it hurts. It's judges a big part of who we are and where we come from. And, um, and it's not, it's not right. And it's at odds with the messaging that <laughs> is the Christian messaging. So I don't know, we can, we don't have to go too deep on that, but yeah, I agree. I think I'd like to touch back on um, the adoptive parents role too, is that some women are because of reasons that Kelsey mentioned and other reasons like generational trauma, needing to get their child away from <laughs> some of what got them into where they are. I mean, I've, I've heard stories of women who um, don't want their parents to help raise their child. They, they want to get that child to a safer place than they were raised in. So if there are going to be people who even with informed consent choose adoption as the best of their three options, if they have all three of those options available to them, the first one about the pregnancy and the second one about who's going to parent that baby. I think adoptive parents need to be able to, you know, if as long as they're not doing anything that causes the relinquishment, um, you know, that would mean by working with an ethical agency, that would mean and a licensed agency and not putting pressure on or having expectations um and i think that can be done I, if we can that can be done with mindfulness with awareness and with education about those things if we're not causing that um trauma then we can learn early on to be containers for that grief we can be working on our own stuff we can be understanding of our child's need to have 
a full range of emotions about their own adoption over the developmental stages that they're going to have. We can be approachable when they want to talk about birth parents, their grief, their adoptedness, their fitting in or not fitting in, any of those things. This is one of the, um, in, in my own interviewing of a lot of adoptees, what I found is that sometimes what really makes the difference between an adequate adoptive parent, which means just good enough, and one that is really misses the mark is, are they approachable? Can they talk? Can they enter into the talking space about birth parents and, and adoption? Um, do they feel safe to their parent, to their child? to come with those. And so that is some of the work that I think needs to be done when adoption is chosen by a, by a birth parent is that we then take the baton to really see that child, nurture that child and help do what we can to bring wholeness back to that child, integration and wholeness. Yeah. Haley, I, um, I'm wondering how that, how you respond to that just, um, I know you, I think you, I, I know you enough to know <laughs> that might have given you some discomfort and and it's okay. We're okay for you to say that if it, if it did. So I just want to give you a chance to to speak Well, I gotta go mind. back to the beginning and say that uh I don't know that there can be an ethical adoption. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with that. And I know there are circumstances. Um extenuating circumstances but as far as I know there's only around 20,000 in private infant adoptions in the United States every year it's very low and I can't imagine that all of those have the extenuating circumstances that um, Kelsey you were mentioning earlier uh I don't know I don't know if there is we're, such a thing as an ethical adoption. Yeah, we're definitely not there yet. Um, there, and uh, we are all, I believe, in agreement that there should be way fewer adoptions. But um, a phrase that Kelsey first brought to my attention is to keep adoption as a safe option for women um, and one that doesn't carry the shame for, for um, placing parents one that doesn't carry shame from other people who disagree with her decision, and one that where she's not predated on, there's no predatory practices. And I think we can aim for that, but it, it involves this, it will require this informed consent. It will require the shift from, that Joyce um, Pavo talks about of that, that Kelsey mentioned. We don't find babies for homes, we find homes for children uh, who actually need them. And it's okay if we disagree. I mean, that is like, <laughs> that's, we do that, we do that often and we take different stances. So, um, you know, appreciate you sharing your perspective, Haley and Lori, of course, yours too. Um, and I think that's, what's great about being in this space. And I'm glad that you joined us, Haley. I feel like there's a lot more. I feel like, you know, I, I'm watching the clock. It's time to wrap up, but I'm like, oh, I feel like like there's so much more we could touch on to solve like adoptions, solve world problems. <laughs> like we could, I think we could just keep going. Um, and and I hope that we do. I hope we have more conversations recorded and not recorded. I hope other people do. I hope that we're inspiring a lot of just 
these things have to be hashed out from all different angles so that we, that's how we creativity, creativity comes, you know, that's, that's the fruit of it and thinking differently and finding new ways and, and new um, protocols and, and reforming the system. And that is something that I know, regardless of maybe our differences on some of these things, we have a common vision for reform um, and, and deep change and um, a lot more transparency. So um, yeah, anyway, Haley, I just, I thank you because I know this isn't something you do very often. Um, and I, I love that you just stay a little bit in your podcaster role and ask some questions of us too, as, <laughs> um, as part of being on our show. Um, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to make sure we, we, we do before we say goodbye? I don't want to let this line throw away. Um, Kelsey, you mentioned wanting more people working together. What would you want to see from adopted people? Um, and Lori, please answer too. From adopted people? Um, yeah. Um, I feel like I've, I've been trying to include adopted people in my legislative efforts. That's the avenue I the little avenue I work in is in legislation and so um and also enforcement as well and so one of the ways I did that was um circulating the draft uh bill language before it was introduced in Congress um to two uh really well-known and, and well-respected adoptee groups and got their endorsements and there was an option for them to suggest edits and changes and um and so that's one of the ways that i am but also um i i think this is something for not just adopted people but just everybody because i think that's really where our goals are with adoption unfiltered is to like it's the large embrace of everybody um but i i really would like to see um people trying to really understand the industry um, and not understand it so they can excuse it, but understand it so they can navigate it better and um, and not be duped by by things. Um, I think a lot of people, and, and I've done it too, so this is not like a, a finger pointing, but I think a lot of people have, they say, oh, it's the industry, the industry this, the industry that. And I, I really want to caution people against seeing, um, using the industry as like the boogeyman, um, we can understand it. We can figure it out. We can, um, and and I think you have to if you want to dismantle anything. You have to figure out how things tick, and um, and that's one of the things that that I do in my work as well. Um, we've figured out, you know, it's taken years, um, but we've done a ton of research and a ton of. Um, have a ton of conversations with people in different states to figure out the legal frameworks of things the how the um you know what's the precedent uh what's there are some things happening in some states that don't have they are not rooted in statutes they're rooted in precedent and so you you can't find those kind of things on the internet you have to talk to those attorneys that are working in those states um, one of those things is Arkansas pre-birth consents. 
are allowed to be utilized in Arkansas, but that's not something rooted in state law. That's something that they've just been doing and there's nothing that says they can't. Um, it's a court recognized precedent. So um, I, I wish there was a more willingness to understand um, those, those intricacies of the industry. Um, and I, I try to educate um, and I know there's other people that do it as well. Um, I, I always, I love going to like the Adoptees United, um, uh, the Zooms that they do, and pretty much monthly they do one. Um, I think it's really interesting. I think we have to move away from um, pointing fingers at at just uh, like it's sort of sometimes it sort of feels like throwing a dart at the map. We're just like you're all terrible, doing all terrible things, and it's like we've we've got to understand this before we dismantle anything. Um, there's a lot of, and the reason being is there's a lot of roadblocks and there's a lot of obstacles intentionally placed to prevent you from dismantling anything. And so when you understand them, it makes it, it makes it feasible and it makes it realistic. Um, I can come up with a lot of answers to your question about what I want for adoptees. <laughs> and that would be for people like me uh, adoptive parents and pre-adoptive parents to listen more to the full range of adoptee um, experiences, not just the ones that they like because it was a happy adoptee. Um, but what do I want from them? It's it's hard to say because um, I, I think I benefited so much already from emotional labor that adoptees have done. Um, and it helped me um, in my own family um, so much. So um, I think my short answer to your question would then would be an invitation to listen for understanding. Um, you know, we talk about in our book, we wanted to um, introduce ourselves to ourselves. I wanted to introduce adoptive parents to themselves to figure out why we tick the way we tick to, to use some of Kelsey's language. But I also was writing with the idea of explaining ourselves, introducing ourselves to birth parents, why we do what we do regarding birth parents, why we do what we do regarding adoptees. Um, because I, I'm of the I'm of the mind that what we if we can take things that are unconscious and make them more conscious, we can do everything a little bit more intentionally and mindfully. Um, so it would be just um, an invitation that doesn't have to be taken to listen for understanding. Do I get to answer? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I I do want to answer this one. And Haley, I want you to answer it too. Um, but for birth parents and adoptive parents, I think it's it's the it's continuing to deeply listen to us and making decisions um, and prospective adoptive parents and policymakers to listen to adoptees and hear us. Um, and I think for my fellow adoptees and myself included, and one of the things that's been kind of a fruit of our working relationship in this podcast and our other endeavors in our book um, is just seeing, giving grace to others in the constellation to see that, Lori, you touched on this. We all have a consciousness journey and 
Um, and I, we see a lot of birth parents who go on a consciousness journey. And so kind of when we all snap, when we're all in that spiral, um, that Dr. J. Ron Kim and others have, have articulated so well. Um, I mean, they, that's for adoptee consciousness, but there, I, I see a similar spiral for birth parents and adoptive parents and to see that, and then, um, to be able to do this, to sit in a room together again, it just, um, it, it just feels deeply important to me. So anyway, again, just another thank you, Haley. And how would you, what do you have any, do you have a call for, for others? I mean, listen to adoptive voices. That's what my whole show is about. Uh, you already said it, Sarah. I think. <laughs> Yeah. Find her if you, everybody knows your show, but if you don't, please go find it. Please listen. Um, just a treasure trove and um, so many good conversations there. Um, Haley, you just, you've again, just done such incredible work for our community, um, for the adoptee community and for anybody who gets to listen in. So um, again, we just thank you for joining us today and um Thanks for tuning in to all of you listening and we will catch you next time.